Welcome to Machine Learning. I'm going to talk about a book called Robotics Primer. This is a, a book that uh, I found that was had a lot of interesting ideas. He states, most inventions have origins in ancient fantasies and dreams. The dream of mechanized labor will create the greatest industrial revolution since the computer, mainly the emergence of the robot. The greater degrees of freedom, the more versatile the robot and less expensive robots have fewer degrees of freedom and are less used by less for less complex tasks. Um, the emergence of the robot is becoming more of a reality as the cost declines. But one of the really exciting areas of robotics is the robot brain. And that's where reinforcement learning is playing such a critical role. As I d- described in my previous podcast about how to the robot brain can learn uh, patterns and then feed those patterns into the neural net, there isn't a reason why the reinforcement learning can't be uh, uh, having larger amounts of memory, larger number of neural ne- uh, neural neural networks, which it's feeding different patterns and and creating hierarchies of layers of patterns uh, where Python code is accessing these these patterns that have been learned by the machine. So in the case with the robot, the robot should be able to learn on a continuous basis. The degree of... um, The more factories will choose to completely automate by using robots... And um, as I've stated before, one of my other podcasts, the Yamazaki Machine fact- Works Factory required few workers and robots operated independently in the evening. And they did have a security guard there who supervised, uh, but most of this, the, the, the supervised for security, but most of the machinery was automated. And some of the machines were repaired by other machines. And so there was a, the maintenance of production, the monitoring of the production line, and also scheduling and tasks were all done uh, through automation. So the idea of uh, conditional training of the machine is that uh, there's, again, we go back to the reinforcement learning where you have a reward system. and. Uh, uh, in the case, like if you're demonstrating to the machine how to do a particular task, let's say uh, you're demonstrating how to pick up an object. Uh, so you you reach down, pick up the object, move it into place. Then uh, the, the machine can go through and attempt to uh, repeat what it sees, in other words, mimic the the states which it is seen from uh, traversing through space, picking up an object, uh, calculating how firmly to grip the object, moving the object from one point to another, and then based on the results, uh, receive a reward from the from the human being uh, through either some form of positive reaffirmation or uh, some sort of voting that uh, would then tell the machine that it performed the task correctly. So one of the early substitutions of robots for humans was in the metal die cast operation where robots logged over 1 million hours. 
robots are becoming more dependable. They have more uptime. Uh, I think the minimal amount of downtime is 2%. And they're just, they're not breaking down. They're, they're very uh, self-maintaining and they stay in operation for long periods of time. So we're seeing uh, a huge payoff in the return on investment in robots. In the 1980s, there were 4,500 robots sold, reaping about $100 million. But robots have been expensive and they've been struggling for the last 20 years due to high interest rates, uncertainty about future tax regulations, government control, and uh, influence factors inhibiting American businesses from making capital investments into equipment such as robots. Just too expensive for the return on investment. But as machines have, are able to perform tasks at a more rapid pace and the cost of the equipment and the operation of the software is becoming more sophisticated, uh, sales for robots are going to increase. In 1981, sales rose to 155 million, with projected sales of 5 billion by 1992. The majority of robots purchased in 1990 uh, were assigned to material handling. And uh, that's where lifting, heavy lifting of products, moving boxes, stacking boxes, all can be done by the machine. The 10 year labor cost increased 250%, whereas the cost of manufacturing of a robot only increased 50%. So again, we were talking about uh, the robot being an important part of, uh, of, the, of business. In um, Let's see. One thing that's interesting is can we, and Marvin Minsky wrote a book called The Emotion Machine. And uh, in his book, he describes, uh, he he states, we don't recognize a problem as hard until we spent some time on it without making any significant progress. And I've found that is true when I, as I've been doing, um, trying to work with uh, the spacey natural language uh, parse, parsing algorithms for doing uh, sentence similarities. And uh, tomorrow I'm going to try to vectorize my sentences and then use dot products and then try to calculate the probability that uh, two sentences are similar. Uh, use uh, some sort of uh, matrix and uh, and then extract the uh, sentences that have the highest probability of being similar to a search sentence that I'm looking for. So that's kind of the rundown there. But it, it you know you, you work um, on a problem and you think you know it's going to be really straightforward on how to solve it and uh, and. Just like Minsky said, you don't really um, recognize a problem as hard until you've spent some time on it. Uh, for if you can diagnose, diagnose the particular type of problem you face, then you can use the knowledge to switch to a more appropriate way to think. 
he said, if a problem seems familiar, use reason by analogy. We've talked about that in one of the earlier uh, podcasts uh, where, I've, where I've talked about uh, um, uh, the different modes of thought. So in some ways, um, as I start thinking about, you know, reinforcement learning, it seems like that the machines are very capable of narrow tasks. But as far as uh, conscious thought, we're far from that. Um, They can mimic word parsing, summarizing words, uh, finding different groupings or uh, different categories but as far as actually creating modes of thought um, machines are not this general general uh, AI does not exist it's all narrow task AI so uh, designed to perform particular work let's see um There's a book written called Robots Unlimited. And um, the this is kind of interesting. He says here, computer uh, recognition systems, the charge-coupled device, the CCD, counts the number of electrons within each pixel. Each number is stored so the whole image can be represented by a series of numbers. Computers can see by means of by means of this device and attempt functional replication of the eye. In a color image, the numbers represent both the hue and intensity of the pixel. One of the um, earliest vision problems to be subject to machine recognition was handwriting technology. Character segmentation is important because printed characters can be of different size and can be separated by neighboring characters by different distances. The PDA made the handwriting recognition an important field of research. The recognition system possessed information about how the characters were written, writing direction, and writing order of the strokes and matched with the shape of the stored characters. In 1960, Israel Gelfand at the USSR Academy of Science developed a successful natural handwriting technology. Stefan Pakshikov founded um, Paragraph International, which SGI later bought. NHR technology underlying idea is that fact that cursive handwriting is a series of movements made by a written instrument. Each movement can be represented by one or more of eight elements that are sufficient to describe all the trajectories of the pen found in the cursive letter of the Roman alphabet. And uh, that's one of the things that's kind of exciting about neural nets is that um, we can take uh, ancient languages, languages that are uh, have not been decoded, and or or recently been decoded, 
and we can move that mapping uh, through some sort of reoccurring neural net. So it would take the glyphs or the images that it recognizes and then translate that into English. So we would get uh, the equivalent character, Roman characters of the translation. And then those could be translated uh, from, let's say, if it was from Hebrew in Roman characters into English. And so we would get uh, English sentences through maybe multiple steps of translation. Human face recognition differentiates unique physical attributes about a person's face, the different heights, depths, and weights. And the way the computer vision works is it's looking actually at the angles of your face. And so it's calculating these lines and what their angles are uh, relative to each other. So even as you grow older, those angles uh, shouldn't deteriorate that much based on the number of critical points it's measuring uh, uh, the fa those face angles on. Everyone's face has distinct features, for example, peaks and troughs. There are about 80 of these features on the human face, including distance between the eyes. So in the case of, uh, of face recognition, they're taking the set of these 80 inputs, if, it, if it's that many, it's feeding into a neural net, and it's attempting to find matches based on uh, predictions of, of uh, similar, similar features that it has stored in its database. Usually 14 to 22 of the 80 features in a face print is enough to complete the recognition process. Video surveillance systems search for a face in low resolution image of the scene and switch to high resolution search when a head like has uh, been spotted. Once a face is detected, the system determines when, uh, then determines the position, size, and pose of the head. The image of the head is then scaled up or down in size and rotated in the same size and pose employed for faces in the database. The most successful recognition can match face prints at 60 million per minute. It's really impressive. Uh, again, I don't know if face recognition is significantly important to artificial stupidity. I would say voice recognition and networks are the two things that uh, would matter. And uh, But uh, the image recognition, as it uh, translates into voice uh, descriptions, dialogues, narratives, uh, conversations about the objects around it, is critical. So mobile eye acts as a silent driver assisting with the forward-looking side mirror at in the cabin recognition. Uh, so it's watching basically the driver is watching uh, cars that are around it. It's looking at lanes. It's looking at the road. And uh, it's doing this all through image processing. Mobile eye can detect cars moving in the passing lane. Uh, distant ranges and switch attention by changing colors and indicate possible collision objects. Pedestrians moving into a travel lane, off-road path findings. The recognition software can watch passengers' position and make decisions for airbag deployment. Cameras on the side mirror can watch blind spots and warn for sudden merges into passing lanes by other cars. 
Side mirror recognitions differentiate between cars not within the collision and those who are. Forward-looking recognition systems can recognize markings on the road. The system fits a three-parameter road model that accounts for lateral position, slope, and curvature, and curvature parameters for increasing the warning reliability under curved roads and the estimated time to lane crossings. That's going to be very challenging. Let's say you're driving uh, an AI in... uh, um, you're driving the mobile eye uh, Pikes Peak where there's lots of turns, uh, there's not lo- good lane markings, and you have uh, sharp edges that indicate drop-offs uh, on the cliff. So it has to know that those curvatures, how it to navigate those roads and account for reactions fast enough so you don't run off the road. The ears of a computer are microphones, devices that contain some sort of diagram that vibrates in concert with audible sound. The vibrations are converted to electrical signals that can be displayed as a waveform on the screen or measured electronically. And uh, this is also an area, image processing, speech processing is an area where deep learning has, uh, uh, chips have been able to bypass um, more complex mathematical functions like Fourier transforms and uh, they're able to do the work and produce better looking images. Speech recognition is um, recognizing those waveforms. Different people can say the same word with different pitches, speeds, and intensities. All these variations change how the word is said. Dynamic time uh, warping has a f- the effect of s- stretching or compressing segments of the speech sound in a word in order to make the waveform easier to match with the store stored waveform a technique called hidden markov models hmm are used to recognize phonem uh, phoneum strings and calculate some values for all possible combinations of the sound the highest probability uh, phonem many uh, string is selected. Visual recognition systems are being used to watch lip movements and use context feedback to improve speech recognition. Yeah, and so watching the lip formation, uh, recognizing the parts uh, or the different uh, phonetic sounds of speech uh, is improving the uh, machine's ability to recognize what we're saying.